I see Miss Long over there. She's ready to take you out to uh, children's worship. So you can head on out. Uh, so um, I, I don't know if it, it was by design uh, with the, the people who put the Revised Common Lectionary together or not, uh, but the text today for uh, the sermon is a, a, a text about freedom, which, uh, believe it or not, you know, this week is the 4th of July. Um, and so I hope uh, to, it's, a, it's a good thing for us to think a little bit about freedom today um, and uh, this week. And I hope um, that as you, you know, eat your hot dog or your meatless hamburger or whatever it is you eat uh, on, uh, on the 4th of July, that you also reflect on the freedom that you have, not as a citizen of America, though that's certainly uh, a blessing, a great blessing, that even more than that, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in that, you have the uh, ultimate freedom uh, that Jesus Christ uh, died and um, uh, rose again uh, to give you. And so to, to think on that this week would be a good thing. So before I read the passage, let me, uh, let me um, uh, pray, and uh, then we'll look at what Paul says in Galatians 5. Father, we come to you today as uh, people who uh, well, are often confused about what freedom is, and, um, and yet, uh, you're very clear here in today's text that uh, this is the essential core. Uh, this is uh, what we've been called to, uh, and it's uh, what Jesus died to give us. And so I pray today you would help us to understand that, help us to live in light of that, help us to take you at your word, and uh, as we live in the full freedom that Jesus died to give us, that uh, we would... Uh, well, keep in step with the Spirit. Give us your Spirit today. Help us, we pray, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Galatians 5, 1, and then verses 13 through 25. The text uh, is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is the Word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So this this is such a great text and uh, one that is uh, so clear to us that the heart of the gospel, the heart of the work of Jesus Christ for us is freedom. And I think that's a a great thing for us to kind of set our minds on, set our hearts on and think about uh, today and to reflect as we do that about how it is that this uh, this might work uh, in in our lives. Now, if if we had time this morning and we could read verses uh, 2 through 12, you would see that what Paul has said here is for freedom, Christ has set you free. And then he will sit there in, in, in those next few verses and talk about and warn the church about falling into the deadness of legalism, of trusting something other or maybe not just trusting something other than Christ, but adding something to Christ uh, for your righteousness. For instance, he talks about circumcision. We might not say circumcision. We might say it's schooling decisions that we make. Or the fact that you don't uh, recognize Santa Claus and all who do are subrighteous. <laughs> or you don't trick or treat. And all who do are subrighteous, or you don't, uh, uh, whatever, whatever your particular thing is. And we all have those things, right? That we look around us and think, a real Christian does this, a real Christian doesn't do this. They are doing that, therefore, they're not a real Christian. Now, the fact is, yeah, the, the truth of the matter is, as we'll see as we unpack uh, this text, that that the issue at heart here is, is uh, as Paul says, neither, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, as he says in this text, uh, accounts for anything. What matters is faith expressing itself through love, right? And so as we unpack that, that's, that's what he's going to get at. Now, the fact is we, we could spend a lot of time this morning on legalism, and there are plenty of legalists in the room, <laughs> okay? Lots of you, lots of us. Lots of me. You know, I have, I have my own set of, of, uh, of legalisms, right? We all have them, right? And we could spend a lot of time on that this morning. But the fact is, and, and as your pastor, let me be very clear about this. The besetting sin of this church is not legalism. Now, from our very beginning, over 25 years ago, we have committed ourselves, and I think rightly so, and I think uh, I don't regret this one bit, to an emphasis on the grace of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ, you have all the righteousness you will ever need, that he loves you, that he is for you, that he has done everything uh, that is necessary for your life, for your salvation, for your eternity. He's done it all. And I have no regrets about our emphasis on that. In fact, I think it's just like Paul, right? Uh, why, why, why would Paul have to say, you know, should we sin so that grace 
should abound all the more. In fact, I would say, and I believe this, that that if, if, I, if you haven't preached the gospel in clearly enough way that people will ask the question, well, does it matter whether I do anything or not? Does it matter whether I sin or not? If that question is it not least raised in people's minds, you have not been clear enough about the gospel, right? And I, and I think that's okay. So, but our besetting sin is that we look at our lives, we look at our situations, we look at our desires, as Paul, uh, one of the big themes in this text is our desires, and we come to grips with the fact that what we might say to about ourselves is, Steve's so clear about how much Jesus loves me, then I can do this because I'm free. I have really been haunted uh, in the last couple of months by this story uh, from uh, Southern California about a boy, a young man, who grew up in an Orthodox Presbyterian church. Um, The Orthodox Presbyterian church, uh, when I was in seminary, the Orthodox Presbyterian guys that I was in seminary with, uh, I used to joke with them that their their real name of their church was not the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, but the official Presbyterian Church (laughs) because, because they got it buttoned down, man. You know, if there's a fine point, uh, they have chemically sharpened that fine point uh, so that it's it's unmistakable. I mean, they're awesome. Every, everything's very clear. And uh, uh, that's why I don't fit there because I'm in a fog most of my life, you know, and things uh, things are rarely super clear to me. But that they, they love that. Well, this, this young man was a, a child of an elder in that church, apparently a great family, like many of our families. And he took a gun, and he shot people in a synagogue. Now, maybe, maybe that has nothing to do with the gospel. Maybe that has nothing to do with uh, an appreciation and understanding of uh, the war that goes on within us between the flesh and the spirit. Maybe he's just mentally ill, just mentally ill. Maybe he is mentally ill. But I do worry and I do wonder sometimes about the fact that the clarity of the gospel and what Paul wants us to see is just as legalism might feel safe to us in the sense that uh, I can I can practice my legalism and I can add these things to the gospel. And be okay. The same thing might be true of us that we say, Jesus loves me. I can do this anyway. I'll be okay. When in fact, what both of those things, legalism and uh, an inappropriate understanding of freedom, either one of those things ultimately lead to the place that most human beings yearn to be. And that is, frankly, weirdly, in slavery. Because the tendency that we have is rather rather than live in the fullness of the freedom that Jesus Christ uh, died to give us, what we will tend to do is try to find some way to put ourselves in some sort of bondage. So just as legalism, ultimately, when we add something to the gospel or we think this must be, I must behave this way to gain the righteousness that only I can get from Jesus. When we begin to think that way, we, uh, we get trapped and that leads to death. No less than, as Paul says here, drunkenness, orgies, 
immorality, idolatry, and those things lead to slavery and then to death. And so the, so the fact is, he, he wants us to see that both of these extremes, both of these ways of looking at the gospel lead us to a place where the freedom that is the dearest thing, apparently, based on this text, that Jesus has given to us, that we would give that up for the security that we think is doing X, Y, and Z to gain God's righteousness, or that I am so free, it does not matter how I live my life And I can just do whatever I want to do. Because in both cases, what happens to us is we think there will be no consequences. Or if there are consequences, I can handle them. Until one day we wake up and like the fly, the stuck to the fly paper, we're stuck. And the stuck place is killing us. And so what Paul wants the the Galatians and us to know this morning is how precious it is that Jesus Christ came into the world to set you free. And he is warning us, being very clear with us, that the fullness of the gospel, the wonder of the grace of Jesus Christ, uh, sets us free in a way that we are no longer under the yoke of slavery, of having to add to the gospel to be loved and accepted and cherished by our heavenly father, that we are we have the freedom of sons and the inheritance of joint heirs. But at the same time, that freedom that we have in Christ sets us free to do and to be what we were created and redeemed to be in the first place. And so let's unpack this package, uh, this passage. We can't go through it verse by verse, but I hope that, that you can get the, the general um, uh, uh, direction of what Paul is getting at here. So, right, if you want to know what Jesus Christ wants for you, uh, what he achieved for you, it is freedom. Paul couldn't be any clearer when he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, for you are called to freedom, Right? Now, real quickly, let me just say something really, uh, a minor point about this, but this will, this will, this will help you. One of the things that happens around here a lot with people is, uh, and a lot of the, the time that I spend counseling people is, uh, I'm thinking, it, uh, scenario, I'm thinking about buying a new house. And people will say to me, I've got two houses. Which one is God's house for me? Let me put my antennas up here and see if I can get God to tell me which one is for you. Right? Now, listen, listen. Do you have mixed motives about which house you're going to buy? Sure. Is it, is it, you know, are are you, are you making the, you know, there's a, a million different things here. But if you're free, it doesn't matter. Buy a house. Just buy one, right? Now, I think what happens with that is people believe that God has this little place out here that this is the only, every decision comes down to only one right decision. Now, now listen, if the decision is between stealing and not stealing <laughs> or, 
or, or lusting and not lusting, or if the decision is something like that, I think you know what the answer is to that one. But in most of the situations in life, this, you, you have freedom here. You don't, ha- you don't have to sit around and agonize and agonize and agonize over that. Because if God says, listen, I have one thing for you and only one thing, and I've hidden it. So this is not clear to you, and you've got to find it. And while you're in the labyrinth trying to find it, I'm going to tase you every time you take a wrong, a wrong step. Woo! You know, let's get a better God than that one, Right? So, so the reality is for, for much of the, these kinds of decisions, we have great freedom. That's what, that's what Jesus did. That's, that is what the, one of the, the wonders of the gospel, right? Is, uh, that, that God has showered his love upon us in such a way that he set us free from that kind of thing, right? So, so also, like I've said it a million times, and some people think this sounds terribly unromantic, but the fact is, was I meant to marry my wife? Absolutely. Could I have married a million other women? Yes. And I would not have been sinning. Because what's God's direction? The only limit to my freedom and who I marry is somebody in the faith. Now, I'm glad I married Marty. I believe that she's the one for me. But I could have married somebody else. And they would have been the one for me if they true if they truly met that standard as well, right? So so let's 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 be clear about how about how that uh, about how that works. So that's one aspect of the freedom um, that we spend a lot of time worrying about, but that, uh, that that Jesus died to give us, right? So take the anxiety off about that. So this must be something that we will tend to lose because Paul's very clear with us because he says, "Stand firm in this." Listen. This, this is, this is the heart of the gospel and you miss the heart of the gospel if you fall off the gospel into legalism or into some kind of crazy, uh, indulging of your flesh. So what he says is you need to stand firm in this. This is, this is essential to your identity. It is essential to the work of Christ. It is essential to who we are as, as, uh, followers of Christ. That all of this work, all of this suffering, all of this stuff that he did for us set us free, right? Now, so in these next 12 verses, he addresses giving up freedom for legalism, which is trusting in our good works instead of Christ's work. And then in 13 through 25, he addresses giving up freedom for our flesh and its desires, right? Now, if you want to know how you're doing in this conflict between your fleshly uh, desires and the work of the Spirit, if you want to know how you're doing in this conflict and struggle, look at your desires, right? Verse 16 tells us that, and this, this whole issue of desire is a big, big part of this text, that we have the desires of the flesh warring against the Spirit, the things that we want to do, and that we are to crucify, that we have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires, right? So that's what's going on here. So what Paul is describing here is you have been set free. Stand firm in that. You have this identity as a child of God, not as a slave. And so don't allow yourself. Don't give yourself. Don't participate in those things which which put you back under a yoke of slavery, because the yoke of slavery, whether it's legalism or or li- indulging your fleshly desires, both end in death. Both end in death. Both are killers, right? So anytime we talk about freedom, and anytime the scriptures tell, talk to us about freedom, 
typically what you have, there's the freedom from something and there's the freedom to something. And so what Paul wants us to see in this text is that we are free from the curse of the law. What that means is that you no longer are bound up to get approval of God, to get standing before God, to get righteousness before God based on your behavior. That the law is uncompromising, it is pristine and perfect and all demanding all the time, right? And so what Jesus has done, he has kept the law for you. And because you are united to him, what you have now is freedom from that. So you have his record of perfectly keeping the law. And therefore, you are set free from having to keep the law to attain your standing before God. You have standing because you're in Christ, right? Um, the other thing that you have to see is now that we are free from that, but we are free to love and serve. That's what he says here. So use your freedom, not for legalism, but also not for indulging your flesh. Use your freedom uh, to, uh, to live uh, as someone who belongs to Christ would live, like he lived, loving and serving, right? And that, that the work of the Spirit through the gospel enables us, empowers us, and places us in a position to do precisely that. Now, I was trying to think of a way to, to, to illustrate this, right? And so one of the, one of the, this is not a great illustration, but no illustration is ultimately a great illustration. They all break down, but it, I, I think this is the way this works. Let's say, uh, you're bankrupt. Literally, legally bankrupt. Now, my understanding of bankruptcy means you're, you don't have to pay the debt back, right? Isn't that right? Generally? Isn't that what that means? If you declare bankruptcy, you don't have to pay the debt back. So you're free from that debt if you're bankrupt. But you're not free to go borrow more money now to indulge yourself in that behavior that puts you in that situation to begin with, right? I mean, I hope not. I mean, anybody who has a, somebody who comes to them and says, I just declared bankruptcy, loan me a half million dollars, <laughs> Right? You'd be pretty dumb. I think, I think, I think you'd be dumb to do that, right? So, so the fact is, not, not only are we free now from our debt, we're free from the curse of the law. We're set free from that, but we're set free now to live as somebody who is debt free. So why would you put yourself back into a situation where you accumulate that debt that was killing you to begin with, right? So that's what, that's what he wants us to see. That's what he wants us to rest in uh, this morning. So we are free now to walk by the Spirit. Well, how do I walk by the Spirit? Well, he says in the text, right? Next slide. Uh, the way that we walk by the Spirit is simply by taking Jesus at his word. Paul's already addressed this at Galatians 3. And this, this passage of Galatians 3 is probably the linchpin between understanding how you get the Spirit to work and be operative in your life and the connection between that and, and, and well, just how that, how you get that, right? Um, it, it's like this. Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, how did you get the spirit at the beginning of your Christian life? 
How did you get the spirit? How do you how, how do you do that? You get it by believing the gospel. You get it by taking Jesus at his word. Right. That's the, the spirit finds that irresistible. And it's and of course he would find it irresistible because you only believe the gospel because the spirit was already there enabling you to do it. And so the spirit doubles down on you when you hear the gospel and you believe it, you get even more. Right. So he says, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, what the Galatians were doing is they're saying, wow, you know, we believe the gospel and now we've moved on to the bigger things of trying harder. And so we, if we add circumcision, which was their legalism, to what we have here, then we're the real Christians, right? And what Paul is saying is, listen, you began the Christian life by believing the gospel. You continue in the Christian life by believing the gospel and entrusting yourself more and more and more to the work of Christ for you, right? So did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, right? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When we trust Christ and we continue to trust Christ, we can rest assured as we're doing that, if we're really trusting Jesus, that, that what happens to us is he fills us with his spirit. He gives us his spirit so that now uh, we are uh, transformed to look more and more like him. You don't get the spirit by adding something to what Jesus has already done. You don't get the spirit by misinterpreting following Christ, becoming fit. Right. That's the way one of the ways you could think about this is, is that uh, you need to make yourself fit to follow Christ. No. You take Christ at his word and he makes you fit. Right. Next slide. So what he says here is now I walk by keeping in step with the spirit in those things. The spirit works in me. Right. So if I'm trusting Christ. What I need to look for, what I need to pray for, what I need to understand that's going to be true of me is this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. That's how you, that's, if you ever, and I said this two weeks ago, listen, when you see love, joy, peace, patience, when you see those things in somebody, you need to call it out because nothing helps a true believer more than knowing that the spirit of God is alive in them and that it's bearing fruit. We don't often see that. In fact, you're the worst judge of that often about whether there's fruit in your life or not. But we can serve one another. We can love one another. As Paul says in this text, one of the ways we can do that is say, I saw you love. I saw you exercise peace. I saw you exercise kindness. The spirit of God's alive and and well in you, right? Now, quickly, a, a word about the most direct warning in this passage. Paul says here, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what are the things that he says? Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So, so that's not an exhaustive list. He's got a bunch of other things that, that he could add to that. Now, let me be clear. When I look in this room, 
I see people who are guilty of sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality. Certainly, there's a room full of idolaters. People that trust superstition. And then there's my favorite part of the list. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That's the sweet spot. Um, and you know what's weird about this is, is I thought about this this week, you know, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. Um, these things all have their own set of addictions, don't they? I really like... Uh, fits of anger. Nothing gets me higher than being righteously mad at somebody else. And frankly, nothing gets me almost that high as being unrighteously mad at somebody else. And the angrier I get, because I'm right and you're wrong, and worse, <laughs> uh, it's it feels good, Right? Until I turn up and turn into this ball of stuff that is just ugly and dead. So, if you, so does that mean Steve's going to hell? Right. Well, if you read this text and it says, you know, if you do these things. You know, we're all in trouble here. Uh, And if you can't find yourself on this list, I think I know most of you well enough to know that if you come to me, I'll tell you which one of these I've seen in you. (laughs) Um, So what does it mean then if I did if I did this? I've done this and I've done I've done a lot of these things on this list since I believed in Christ. Well, the, the issue is in this, this little uh, word there, do, uh, the, the word there is not just, you know, a one-off kind of thing like that, but it's it, the, a better translation of that word would be practice. And, 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 it does, and, and so you could say, well, you know, I'm a pretty practiced angry person. I'm a pretty practiced jealous person. I'm a pretty practiced envious person. Yes. But the, 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 the fact is what, what, what he's getting at here is, uh, when you come to grips with those things, when you see those things about yourself, are you putting them to death by repenting? That's what, that's what crucifying these desires is, is it's, it's, it's turning away from them, acting as if you are dead to them. It's repenting of them. It's seeing them for what they are and turning away from them, right? And so, so that's, 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 that's the thing that has to be true of us today is the way I know and the way the spirit is at work in me and the way this conflict is working doesn't mean that I never lose my temper or doesn't mean that I, that I, I never, you know, uh, and tempted to find my hope in an idol and a created thing, what it means is that God won't let me stay there for very long. 
When I lie to myself and say, oh, I can handle the consequences of that, God brings the consequences in his mercy, and I realize, oh, this is terrible. This is killing me. Jesus, I take you at your word. Pour out your spirit upon me. Set me free from this. Turn me away from this, right? So the question then becomes for us, how do we become fit then for the kingdom of God? Because what he says there is, if if you do these things, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I came across this quote this week from a a, a friend of mine in northern Virginia, and this is what he said. Please, Please forgive me if you don't like long quotes, but this is a good one. Put into practice what the spirit is working in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For that is the life of Christ living in you. And you is not the thunder of judgment and sin, but Christ and his mercy and love given to you, living in you, and working through you. Now, doing these things doesn't make you fit. One already made fit does these things. For you cannot make yourself fit for the kingdom of God. One is made fit by Christ with his fitness his gift to you. And this is simple, what that fitness, the fitness of Christ Jesus looks like, this list of fruits that Paul gave. And if it's not what your life looks like, and honestly, none of our lives do, at least not enough. And let me just say something about that, that question of how do I, when we seek assurance of our standing before Christ by asking the question, have I done enough? I get this question often, like, have I given enough money to the church? And I'm like, well, you should be generous. Are you generous? Well, I don't know. Have I given enough? And so I've taken the answer to that question by saying, okay, I can tell you how much. How much? A million dollars. What? A million dollars? Where'd you come up with that number? I'm like, well, I don't know if that pleases God or not, but that would please me a lot. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. So... So, so the, so the fact is, it's not an issue of, of the answer is not for you to try, just try harder, but to receive more Christ, to repent, or as Paul puts it, to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and receive the forgiveness, life, and fitness of Christ, to devour his forgiveness, his word, and his body and blood. Not, therefore, right, since Christ has made me fit and free for his kingdom, right, I don't have to now bite and devour my brothers and sisters and consume one another. Isn't it funny how desire and appetite and eating is such a big part of this this text? Devouring your neighbor's reputation and getting a pound of his flesh is not a healthy spiritual diet. Now, one of of the things I think you people, uh, you people, us people, One of the things that I I run into all the time with folks is, you know, uh, I'm not gossiping about Steve because what I said about him is the truth. Okay, so you're confusing gossip with slander. When you lie about somebody, that's slander. When you tell the truth about somebody to somebody else uh, that's none of that person's business and something you ought not be saying, that's gossip. That's devouring their reputation, right? Rather, come here. and bite and devour the flesh and blood of Jesus that he gives here for you. For this is the diet that gives you spiritual health and strength and the life and forgiveness of Jesus. And if you are what you eat, which, you know, that's those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s, there were posters in our uh, 
school cafeterias. Praise God, I don't think I'm what I ate in Huntersville Elementary School cafeteria growing up. Um, But by this meal, you grow into the likeness of Christ. Hear these words of institution. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's use this prayer of confession. It's printed in uh, our bulletin and on the screens behind me. Lord Jesus, you declared, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Through your sacrifice on the cross, we have been granted full access to enter into God's presence to truly worship him in spirit and in truth. Lord Jesus, you have not left us as orphans. You graciously asked the Father, and he gave us the spirit of truth. Yet there is a terrible coldness in our hearts, a hardness toward you, a lack of love for our neighbor, an unwillingness to admit our sin and need for you. Forgive us our sins. Come near, good Lord, and strengthen us by your spirit until Christ reigns supreme within us in every thought, word, and deed. Give us a faith that renews the heart, overcomes the world, works by love, fastens us to you, and always clings to the cross. Amen. Believer, hear these words. You were dead in your trespasses. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name. And he gave it to his disciples. So when you come forward this uh, morning, you have the opportunity to feed on Christ. You have the opportunity uh, rather than to feed on uh, your own flesh or feed on the the devouring, the, the sinful desires that we have one another to eat something that gives you life, something that is truly life giving. You have the opportunity to proclaim the Lord's death, to be nourished. Uh, to be reminded of the fact that no matter what else may be true of you this morning, uh, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting him, then you celebrate and recognize that he did this for you. But I want to say something this morning uh, 
to those of you who might have read this list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Maybe you're here this morning and you're hungover. Maybe you're here this morning and you regret decisions that you made with your body. Maybe you're here this morning and you find life uh, in your anger, your jealousy, and your envy. And as you contemplate the sacrifice of Christ, and you think about that, truly, honestly, maybe in your heart of hearts, you think, honestly, I prefer drink. I prefer immorality. I don't want to turn away from it. Not yet. But if you're here this morning and you've been immoral this week and you've gossiped, and you've indulged, and you hated it. And you're in a desperate strait, and you want to be set free from it. You want to turn your back on it. You want to see it crucified. If that describes you, you should come to the table. You should receive the strength and the nourishment And the reminder that Jesus died for that immorality. Jesus died for that drink. Jesus died for those words of gossip. Jesus died for that jealousy and that envy. Jesus died for your your idolatry. Let your heart be moved and broken by that. See the body of Christ. See the blood of Christ spilled for you. Come forward to be renewed and strengthened and, 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 and challenged now as you take Jesus as his word to walk by his spirit. But if it just rings hollow, those things on that list, as ugly as they may seem, actually are more attractive to you. Don't come. But pray that God would help you to see the truth of the bondage that you are willingly giving yourself to. That he would cause you to despise that and give you what you need to live in the freedom that Jesus died to give you. If that's true of you, that uh, you, you want that freedom, you repent. You want to see those things crucified. You have professed to a body of believers somewhere that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior. Then he says to you today, you know, come, repent, take, eat, be nourished. Proclaim by doing this the forgiveness of your sins, the death of Christ for you. As the elders and deacons come down front this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the the bread is gluten-free.